Good evening. Um, if you would like to turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy, we're going to look at chapter 6 this evening. Uh, I'd like to read a small passage from that and then we'll and pray and then we'll get into it. Uh, <coughs> Start reading here in chapter 4, verse 4, I mean, of chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you for your word. Thank you for all your abundant blessings, and uh, I pray that, that the message to this evening is, is what you would have us hear, what you need us to hear from your word, and not clever things that I've tried to devise. Since we ask your name, amen. In the... Uh, <clears throat> I started listening some time ago to the briefing, uh, Dr. Moeller's uh, podcast, and uh, what spurned a, a lot of this in, in my heart and in, in my mind. There was a, a professor from Northwestern who had written an article uh, on the dire situation of the liberal left in our country and he was basically saying that the liberal uh, left the couples married couples today are having fewer children and the other individuals that they support and the couples and marriages that they recognize are biologically incapable of having children so it would stand to reason that it would just eventually die out. And what bothered me so much was at the end, his, his conclusion to this article was that, but he said, but we really don't need to worry, that won't happen. We'll let the conservative right Christians bear the burden, bear the burden of having children and raising them. And when they turn 18, they'll drop them off on the sidewalk at our colleges, and then they're ours. There was another, uh, another professor from Notre Dame um, who had got an article published in the New York Times <coughs> entitled, Why People Still Believe in Hell. And in that article, of course, his, his overall take was, the ignorant, uneducated still believe in a hell. It was very condescending and degrading. And those are the people that our children will be exposed to. And then having me and several of our friends, uh, having just sent our daughter off to college uh, this past year, 
that worried me. Not for where my daughter's going. She's going to Boyce. And I'm grateful and I thank God for that. But a lot of the children here that I've taught in youth and in Sunday school or I've coached in basketball, they're not at Boyce. They're at UK. They're wherever. And for those of us that have little choice but to put your children in the public school system, it starts even earlier. The state of New Jersey this past year passed legislation saying that the LBGTQ platform will be integrated into their subject matter in the public schools. And that means that you don't have an uh, you can't opt out of it because it's integrated into every subject that they have to take. So there's very real battle going on for the hearts and the minds of our children. And I and as I said, it it bothers me just not for for my children, but for the children of my church family. My loved ones, the, the friends and, and Christian brothers and sisters that I have, I, it troubles me. But I think De- Deuteronomy uh, as a whole, and specifically chapter 6, has, has much to offer in the way of warning, encouragement, and application uh, in teaching our children a biblical perspective and a Christian worldview. Um, Deuteronomy is comprised of basically three speeches or sermons that Moses uh, gave to the people of, of Israel, and I and I don't think that that's un. I don't think that's a just a novel thought or, or fact, because they were the last words he spoke to them. They're at the door. He God had already told him, you will not enter the land that I've promised your, your fathers. That was back while they're in the wilderness. You know, that's sometime off in the future. Yes, it's coming, and yes, Lord, I, I understand, but now we're here. We, we can look at the land, so he knows his time is growing short. So we have to think about how and what he had to say to those to these people. So let's look in verse 1 of chapter 6. He says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. So the first thing that we see here is obeying God's command. While they're in the land. And there's a, very, there's a very real sense of this, this commandment, the statutes and rules. The commandment there being singular just means in, in general, but statutes and rules is plural. So you're getting into the detail of, of, of the law. The law from the Lord your God. And he commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. Verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God, your, you, your sons, 
and your son's sons by keeping all of his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. That fear of the Lord, of course, we have always understood is a reverence, reverent fear. But I also think that it's, it's, it's short-sighted to dismiss a reverent fear of, of an almighty God, one whose power and, and majesty would kill us if we simply looked directly at him. So there is a real sense of fear there, of awe and fear. This is, uh, this is to be true for you, your sons, and your sons' sons. So following the absolute commandments of the one true and living God elicits a healthy fear of God for us, our children, and our grandchildren. How? To do that, it has to be explained. We have to teach our children and our grandchildren. We can't be the grandparents that just let them do whatever and run crazy and then give them back to the, the parents. Pastor Brian's spoken to that before. Sorry. Pastor Brian's spoken to that before. But <clears throat> the, uh, we have to teach them. And I think uh, otherwise we end up, if we don't explain what we're doing, then we end up one or two generations down the road with gentlemen like those professors who wrote those articles who are calling their parents or grandparents ignorant and uneducated. The, uh, and we also see that, there's a very, that there are very real benefits to obedience. And I think this speaks, overall, the whole passage, the whole chapter, is not only uh, telling us what we should do and pointing us in that direction. I think the way Moses has addressed the people is a very good example of that, of, of how to go about those things. He says that you may fear the Lord, you, your sons, your sons, by keeping all the statutes and commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Then that goes on in, in verse 3. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. So there are benefits to that obedience, to following the God. And, and, and he doesn't shy away from that. He's promised you a land. He's promised you things will go well with you. Your life, your days will be long if you're obedient. Then we get to verse 4. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. This, that's, that's considered the Shema, and I know many of you know that. That's, that's the confession, the key confession of the Jews. And in this statement, in, in, in an area, I think, uh, 
One of the commentators, Chris Wright, said it very well. It's asserting quite distinctively from the surrounding polytheistic religions that Yahweh is God. Yahweh is our God, and Yahweh is one God. He is a singular God with his own integrity, character, will, and purpose. One God whom we are to worship. That's, that was setting them apart from all those, the, the people, the polytheistic area around them. Six times in Deuteronomy, we see that word here, Shema, comes from the Hebrew word for here. And we see that six times throughout Deuteronomy. Moses is reminding them over and over again that they are a people called by God to hear the word of God. They and we are to hear the truth and respond to it. Then we get into more detail. Verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And this speaks to the totality of man. With everything, all your heart, all your soul, all your might. In Romans 5.8, of course, and, and we understand this, Romans 5.8 says God... But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. And we see statements of love, statements in, in to love God at least eight times throughout the book of Deuteronomy. And we can see the theme, we see very distinctly when we read through it, and, and, and even at just in, in this one chapter we're going to look at, we see that it's very much about obedience, but that obedience comes from love. And John Piper, he said, uh, do you not, in how we're to do this, how we are to love the Lord our God with all our soul, all our might, our heart, he said, you do not merely decide to love him. Something changes inside of you. And as a result, he becomes compellingly attractive. His glory, his beauty, compels you, compels your admiration and delight. He becomes your supreme, supreme treasure. You love him. I really love that. And I, in, in looking at going through my notes and looking over it, and I was thinking how... How we could even do that, and I was looking this afternoon, the girls were, were watching with me, but, and the closest thing that I, I, could, I could find that, that related to me uh, was in Rocky IV, <laughs> but uh, when, when uh, Rocky was fighting Drago, the, the big Russian, and, and Duke, Apollo Creed's old manager, is with him, and, and he's, he's trying to encourage him, he's trying to get him fired up because... He's getting pummeled, but he's been taking it so far, and he's still standing. And at that point, it's getting close. It's like the, 
last couple of rounds. It might be the last round. I don't remember that part. But he said, punch and punch until you can't punch anymore. Don't hold back. Give me everything you've got. All your strength, all your power, all your love. This is your whole life. And when you're sitting there watching that movie and you see and you can sense very real that, that it is. And there was nothing else for him to pour into. There was nothing else for him to focus on. That's how we love God with all our soul, with all our heart, with all our strength. In verse 6 and 7. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way. And when you lie down. And when you rise. That teach them diligently is the translation of a single word that means repeat. And in the NLT uh, translation, it actually says, repeat them again and again to your children. And this takes place primarily in the home, as we see that, when you sit in your house. And it's not solely the mother's responsibility to do so. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 and 8 says, For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. So, and, and also in there, notice when we're to teach. Sitting in your house, walking by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Teachings God, teaching God's word is ever, pre or just God's word is ever present in the Christian home. And just thinking of that elicits by, by its very nature, that has to mean conversing with your children. Developing a relationship where you're not always dictating or, or you know, uh, not always in a teaching mode, so to speak, or dictating or, you know, spouting out rules or do this, don't do that, and becoming more and more legalistic about it but you're developing a, a, a relationship with your children where you can actually talk to them and where they'll come to you. Just walking by the way, going to the grocery and seeing something or just asking them questions in the car as, we're, as you're going through, through your day. But we should constantly cons can expose them to the Word of God. 
I was talking to one of, one of my coworkers about, uh, about our daughters. He has two daughters. I have two daughters. This happened uh, maybe two years ago. And he said uh, one of them had a boyfriend or was wanting to, wanting to date, go to the prom. I think, it, I think that's what it was, go to the prom. And he said uh, that he was nervous. He was anxious about that. I said, why? He said, well, you know, stuff that goes on, stuff that happens. You know, she's in the public school. He's, he's uh, not a, I guess, practicing or professing Christian. I, he never, uh, I've, I've shared with him several times, and he never turned me away, but he never really affirmed anything either that I was saying. And... Uh, and I asked him if he had talked about, you know, had the talk with his daughters. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah. I had the talk with them when, he, when they were 13. I said, well, what about since then? He said, no, I, well, they, they, they know better now. I said, really? Really? He said, what do you do? I said, I have that talk with my daughters, and we've had it since they were 10. We repeat it over and over again. Every time something presents the opportunity on the TV, a marriage on TV, or someone living in sin in TV, and, that, and, and just having those conversations over and over and over again to reinforce it. And pretty soon, you get to, we, and it's funny because we'll be watch. I'll be watching something. I'll be watching a documentary or something. The girls will be doing, doing their studies, and, and it looks like they're not even paying attention. Something will come on the thing about, well, the earth is 50 million years old. And I mean, just out of nowhere. That's wrong. Yeah, it is, baby. But they're listening, you know? Because we've, we've been trying to teach, teach them and reiterated these things over and over again. There was an article written back in 1970 called The High Price of TV. And this professor, uh, uh, psychiatrist, psychology professor, he stated in that article, the most serious problem of TV is not poor programming, but that it has destroyed the average family's exchange of views and information at the evening meal. And that was in 1970. Think about how much worse it is now. You know? We're fighting for their attention over an iPhone, iPod, tablet, and TV, and streaming Netflix and everything else. But we can't assume, and I think this is where, I think this is where a, a lot of us, and Shannon and I are very guilty of it, but we're, we assume that our direction to them, our, our telling them, teaching them things, plus 
us being Christians, equals them knowing that what we're saying is biblical. As we go through the rest of this chapter, he's already stated what to do, telling them to teach. And it it goes throughout the, the entire book, but never once in here. And I looked at five different translations. That's not all of them, but I looked at five. And not once did it say, fear the Lord your God, keep his commandments because I said so. Never once. There was always a reason. And we should always, when we talk to our children, we should be able to point them back to the word. Repeat it over and over again so that they know and understand the authority with which I'm telling you this isn't even mine. This is God's. In verse 8 and 9, he says, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as, a, as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And it's a typical uh, Jewish practice. They, they interpreted this literally. And we can. I mean, you can. That would be look strange to us. But you can also do it metaphorically. I mean, just keeping that, keeping the word of God on your mind. In verse 10 through 13, it says, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear, that you shall fear him you shall serve, by his name you shall swear. And I think that that passage is very uh, applicable to us today in the United States. Everywhere that that, that the Bible speaks of prosperity... There's a warning. It's not a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. It is very much a warning. The biblical about the dangers of it. Not get rid of it. Not it's evil and bad. That we have to be careful. We have to be vigilant. And not forget. That, fray, that, that part that keeps repeating itself, that you did not. Moses is reminding them, you didn't earn this. You did nothing to deserve it. And in it, and this is the thing that I never understood <coughs> for us and them, okay, not just them, I'm not pointing fingers, for me too. 
How did they possess that land? How did they get it? Why did God eliminate those people and drive them out? Because they did not fear the Lord. They did not know God. They did not worship him. And he was righteous and just to drive them out. And they weren't supposed to leave anybody. When they went to battle, they weren't supposed to leave anybody. That you did not build. You did not earn. You did not deserve. And there goes the the warning with it. And take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. That word, the word there, <clears throat> excuse, used there is shamar, means pay close attention to. And it's used throughout the book. Be careful not to forget the Lord who delivered you. And then that last phrase, by his name you shall swear. Swear an allegiance to, meaning an allegiance to God as the Lord of the covenant who delivered you out of Egypt. And how many times in the book did, has, he, has he repeated it? Brought you out of the land of Egypt. Because they weren't even there. Or some of them were children, you know. It was 40 years ago. But he repeats it to them over and over again, reminding them. Because they are the first ones in this polytheistic area, in this polytheistic region, where they're worshiping every idol that they can come up with or carve out of stone or wood. They are the only people on the planet that has seen God move. God acted. He spoke. This God, Yahweh, is different. And these other things are no gods at all. And do not, and reminding them totally, because they saw it. They saw him part the Red Sea. He, they saw the miracles. They saw him act in their lives to deliver them out of bondage. And we cannot, you cannot, he's telling them over and over, do not forget that. That this God is a powerful and mighty God that acts on your behalf. And then just as soon as he says it, it is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods. There's the warning. The gods of the people who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your, in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Exactly what he's doing to give them the land. They're going to see that too. And yet, constantly, 
in their heart, our hearts, we rebel. And even in light of everything, we'll do it. it in, in chapter 1, he recounts everything and then says, and he was going to give you the land and you wouldn't go. You disobeyed. And then they tried to change their minds. Oh, okay, 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 yeah, we'll go fight, we'll go fight. And God told him, tell them not to go because I'm not going to be with them. But they were so eager to make up for it, they went anyway. So it, it, it made no difference. Four times in Deuteronomy, God is described as a jealous God. And each time, because his rightful place in our hearts and lives have been replaced by another God. And, and, and seeing that, and it's still, he, he, he reminds them over and over again. But it's still like they never put two and two together. They never put the, they, they never relate the two. And they never truly heed the warnings until it's too late, until it's gotten uh, too far gone. In the last five verses, 20 through 25, I'm sorry, I, I, I skipped down to this, verse 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. That was where they demanded water, if you remember. Not trusting, not being faithful, they were bickering. You shall diligently, there's that word again, diligently, meaning repeat, Keep the commandments of, your, of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you. Not because I said so, that it may go well with you. He will bless you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out your enemies from before you. As the Lord has promised. That diligent ob obedience, there, there's a reward factor there. You know, we, we don't generally like to talk about that. We don't generally, well, you're not supposed to do this to get that. Well, yes, that's true, but God says it. I will reward you for this. And there's nothing wrong with. with with clinging to the promises of our God. In verse 20, when your sons ask, ask you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? So there again, there's, there's a conversation. They come to you. They have a question. And they, and they feel comfortable enough to come to you. Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, 
And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us as we are careful to do all that this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. And telling them that, we're repeating it diligently, repeating it to them over and over. But that also reminds us, doesn't it? It keeps it fresh in our minds. And I see my church family, I see the children, your children, and the way you're raising them. And it's the whole reason why I coach basketball. It's not because I want to be a great basketball coach. I'm not. I'm okay. But I want to pour into their lives. I want to be, and that's why I think that the church is, is, is included in this. For all of us. I just want to be one more voice echoing, backing up what you've taught them at home. So then they know it's not just mom and dad. It's not just our family. They're going to be scrutinized enough. They're, they're going to be cast out and they're, and they're going to come with questions. Why, why are we different? Why does so-and-so's family do this but we don't? Not because I said so. Because we follow the one true and living God. Because of, because of the price God paid for us. Christ paid for us. Redeeming us. And that's more than any worldly, worldly possession there is no comparison. Thursday night at prison, we talked to, we were in Mark chapter 14, and, and the first 11 verses, and it's the story of the woman who broke, was Mary, uh, but broke the flask and poured the nard over Jesus' head. Everybody else was indignant about that. Everybody else was angry. God wasn't embarrassed. But she knew the cost. And, 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 and that, that was the point, I, I think, one of the points to that. She knew exactly what she was doing. But the Son of God was in her house. The cost wasn't even close. That's why she broke it. She didn't pour some and save the rest. She broke it. It was not going to be used again. She poured it all out. We must diligently remain vigilant over our children and our grandchildren 
so that they grow up in a fear and admonition of the Lord. And they know and understand so that when they go out there, there was one, one of the youth who I've talked for several years, and the last year is uh, before they were going away to college. And she was very aggravated with her father. So I'm, I could just tell she was frustrated. And, and, and I asked her, what's wrong? She told me. She said, it's, it's like dad doesn't trust me. I'm getting ready to go off to college, and it's like he doesn't trust me. And such and such, you know, going on. So I asked, asked the father if I can talk to her a minute. He said, yeah. And I said, you know, it's not that he doesn't trust you. You are a gift from God that he's given you. And he spent 18 years preparing you. It's not that we want to lock you up and keep you in to ourselves. It's the way God designed it. You're supposed to go out. You have to go out. And we know that. But time goes so fast. And as that moment draws near, you look at your beautiful grown daughter and you say, did I teach them everything? Did, did I cover everything? You start thinking about it. You start worrying about it. I'm not, I'm not sure. And you just want one more conversation. One more lesson. You just want to encourage them one more time. Don't forget. Fear the Lord. He will never leave you or forsake you. And we just, we just want to share that one more time before it's too late. That's all. And I pray, and, and I want to encourage you. It's, it's, it, I still call my parents mom and dad because they are. The parenting doesn't have an age limit like the world wants to think. When they're 18, they're adults, and they can get out, and they can fend for themselves. Doesn't have an age limit. Maybe, maybe everybody in here almost has a child. Doesn't matter how old they are. Talk to them, call them, have one more conversation, and encourage them diligently to stay strong in their faith. Because they're getting ready to face and face a time that we have not known here, and we need their, and, and they need to be shored up in that in that conviction, in that faith, so they can withstand what they're going to see and what they're going to find and the stuff that they're going to hear when they leave us.
Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this evening. Thank you for this opportunity. And I pray that uh, I pray that this is, encourages my church family as much as it encouraged me as I've studied and, and, and read. And I pray that we that you don't allow us to forget. I pray that you won't allow us to stray so far that that we don't even know how to love you with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. I pray that when we leave here tonight, we, we will go out to collectively and individually and wherever you've sent us into the world. We will proclaim the mightiness of, of your divine power amongst idols and that we will bring glory to your name. Amen.